Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other technology topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by my co-host Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions and Shaheen Khan from Orion X. Now let's get to the show. Here we go again for another scintillating Radio Free HPC episode. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by Henry S. Newman, or Henry Gator Newman, if you want to call him Gator, he'll respond to that, and Shaheen Khan. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Uh, I just got off of a long trip to China for the Asia Student Cluster Competition and HPC Workshop. So that's what I've been doing. What have you guys been doing the last week? We've been wondering where you are. Yeah, I was in China. Sorry, I should have been a little more upfront about that. So how did it go? As scintillating as it usually is? It was a great trip. It was a very good trip. Um, I have the results, and they are groundbreaking. Oh, wow. I give you the uh, uh, top-line results first? Please. For the first time, a non-mainland Chinese team won the ASC cluster competition. Oh, wow. It's, the uh, headline is Return to Glory. Uh, National Tsinghua University from Taiwan. Oh, I see. Oh, took it all home. That's in your face. Uh, yeah. How, yeah. How, how weren't they able to cheat and get them in, uh, you know, not get them? <laughs> well, um, actually... Uh, National Water NTHU, built themselves a pretty good foundation by really destroying the rest of the field on HPCG. Really? Yeah, they came in at um, uh, two teraflops, which was a comfortable 500 teraflops or so ahead of their next nearest competitor. What, what was their architecture, Dan? Uh, they had... A smallish cluster consisting of, as I move to that level in the spreadsheet, five nodes, 10 processors, 200 CPU cores total, almost two terabytes of memory, but um, 16 GPUs. Interesting. In one SMP? Wow. Uh, no, not one SMP in the, in the cluster. Okay, 16. in the cluster. Yeah, a cluster the, of five notes. What was the interconnect? Uh, InfiniBand FDR. Okay. Really? Only uh, FDR? Yeah. Yeah, that's what pretty much everybody was using except one team from Shanghai that used uh, what I'm calling double Omnipath. So two uh, Omnipath NICs per node. And they had some interesting results. They did okay. Okay. Interesting. But some of these applications were really tough. The CESM, which is an Earth uh, climate model, mm -hmm. the kids renamed it Compila or Com Compilation Error SM <laughs> because it was written back in the late 70s, early 80s, and it shows. So they had to find some old Fortran compilers. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, Sun Yat-sen took the the um, win on that uh, doing very well but it was a a tough application the average score was 31 percent wow. um yeah yeah it was it was difficult then the other application wtdbg2 
which is a genome sequencing thing, that was also difficult with an average score of 43%. But our pals at NTHU took home the bacon on that one. Uh, super resolution, not quite so hard. They were given images that were hazy and blurry and told to clean them up with using PyTorch and AI. And teams used a variety of methods. One of the things that was really difficult for them is that the training stuff that they were using was pretty standard, like a portrait-like picture, but hazy. The data set they were given had people with their heads at different angles and different backgrounds and things like that. So it was a much tougher training set than they anticipated. And, and did that GPUs do better? Systems that were GPU heavy did better on those? Uh, from looking at the results, I'm going to say yes. But what's surprising is that in a lot of these results, there were some teams that were not GPU heavy that did okay. And for instance, like uh, CESM wasn't really a GPU centric application at all. Okay. And WTDBG doesn't seem to be very GPU centric either. So it was a it was a great competition. Great kids really had uh, a good time there. And if you look at the at the overall results, which I'm doing right now, we had National Tsinghua University number one, arch rival Tsinghua University from China that usually wins these things. Number two, but it was close. It was in within about um, point and a half, uh, one and a half percent. So total points of 74.85 for Taiwan, 73.65 for Tsinghua in China. Very close. Number three team and the other team that'll be getting their ticket to ISC in Germany is Sun Yat-sen University out of China, then Beihong, Jinan, which Jinan, very new team, first time ever. Um, Fuzhou University, third time competitor. Uh, Wajong was ninth. Um, Southern University of Science and Technology was seventh. What I really enjoyed seeing was the team from EFIT in Columbia coming in 10th. Now, 10th isn't first, but it also means you're beating 10 other teams. And these guys had some real problems early on. They they had a horrible Linpack score, but they overcame that. Yeah, and um, if you if you don't do if you get lose on one of them, you're pretty much toast. Well, Linpack was worth about nine percent of it, but but they had a really bad Linpack score. Um, what was not, the cost of that, Dan? Uh, they were not able to get their their cluster scaling correctly early on. And it would be easy to throw up your hands and quit after that, but they didn't. So I'm very impressed with that team. Uh, they did a good job, and hopefully we'll see them again soon. They also had a half-day HPC forum there with several speakers. And one speaker, Jack Dongara, who I'm calling the Frank Sinatra of HPC, came out with a startling statement uh, based on his experience with Summit and what he knows from it that between 93 and 97% of all the computation done on it is performed by GPUs. Wow. 
that's uh, that's pretty disconcerting for the CPU makers in general. Well, is it though? Because if you got eight hundred cores sitting there compared to like you know a single thread on the CPU, but you you'd expect but you have, it to be. You have you know twenty or plus more fat cores there, Shaheen. That you know, and more memory bandwidth and other things potentially. You uh, you would think you would you would be able to use some of your uh, non-vector, non-parallel code and use it on that. And and you know, and actually, Henry, I would I would kind of beg to differ. I think that actually makes the CPU look awesome because if the GPU with its hundreds and hundreds of cores is doing only ten to fifteen times the processing. Which is what ninety-three divided by seven is probably going to give you. Then you know it's not doing eight well, times; it's only doing thirteen times. Well, there are six V one hundred GPUs on each node of Summit, so, okay. so it's so extremely GPU heavy. Your point's even stronger. Yeah, with that. But on the other hand, might this argue for having a very light? A CPU that just handles the traffic cop duties really well. well. It depends on what it what the CPU is doing because if well, it's not doing all that much at Summit. Yeah, but you know if you if you can take that crudely to say that the application is ninety three to ninety seven percent parallelizable, that's really nothing. That means Amdahl's law is going to kill you without a really good CPU doing the serial portion. But, but Gene, you have very powerful CPUs that can do vector operations, um, and you have, you know, excellent memory bandwidth per core. You, I would think that there would be other things those CPUs could be doing. It also could be just uh, uh, the way people are programming. They're not taking advantage of it. What if they just do a sync, you know, they're just say, okay, I'm just going to use the GPUs and don't care. That could very well be. Yeah, I think I think it's time for me to go write that article about Amdahl's law. Because I just think that you know, for anyone who's actually plotted the curves, and even if you've done it, it's probably been a few years since you've done it. Uh, you know, even ninety-nine percent parallel fizzles when you it start adding for a while. Yeah. yeah. It kills you after about. I mean, this is why really the whole Gustafson law comes into play because the only way you're going to really get high, high parallelism is through giant problem sets. Yeah, you have the problem has to be big enough. That's for sure. Well, I would argue on some of those problems are probably pretty big. You I would, would imagine, which is really why 93 to 97, again, if you crudely assume that that's an indication of parallelizability seems pretty low. Now, what metric I really want to see is utilization rates of GPUs. Mm. And I don't get that info. I keep asking for it, and nobody comes forward with an actual data for utilization of GPUs because my suspicion is that until I'm, you know, until I see the data, I don't know. But I have a feeling that not all these codes are able to utilize all those GPUs all the time. Well, mm -hmm. I, and that, that, that's an interesting point, but, you know, is it, are they tracking it? Is anybody tracking that, or is it they no. don't want to give you that? I don't I, know. I would doubt that they're, that they're tracking it systematically. It's not, 
it's not entirely hard to do because I've done it on my my own systems, but it's not exactly easy to do. It's got to be node by node, and you have to sum up all of this, you know, basically consumer application stuff. It's for for hobbyists and gamers. Yeah, and you'd have to yeah to okay. get you'd have to do it by hand pretty much as far as I can tell. And I was tracking it when I was doing some rendering of my underwater videos, and um, it was it. You could tell you could tell the GPU was using and it was being tracked internally by the hardware by just the fan going on. <laughs> but you have to go out like you found, Henry. You have to go out and get the program that can actually track the utilization. And then if you're trying to do this on thousands of nodes, you've got to add it up by hand. Right. I don't think that there's any sort of a cluster um, aware application that'll track it cluster wide. I'm going to bet that doesn't exist. I would think I would think that's correct. So you might be able to get some samples, Shaheen, but at least today it's just too hard to get all of the uh, actual utilization. You know, I have to assume that if you're spending the kind of dollars that are being spent with these systems, you'd want to keep track of utilization and see if it's not, you may still have to do it at the end because you're ahead of what you would have been otherwise. And it's just kind of the cost of getting the turnaround time that you need. That may very well be the case, but you still want to know if it's like 30% yeah. or 80% utilized, your CFO would want to know. Right. Yeah. This reminds me of the very first time I met Henry in our very first argument. This was back in 2010 at SC. So your argument started pretty much immediately. Yes. yes. Our yeah. very first argument was about SSDs. I was highly in favor of them because they were much faster than anything else out there. His argument was SSDs ain't all that because they're not utilized well enough. Remember that, Henry? That, that was true. And, you know, you also have to look in, in terms of the context of the time, Dan, because there, there was, you know, the context of the time, if you remember at that time, SSDs were about a 15 or 20 to 1 on cost per byte. Yeah, they were, they were. It was a big number. But they, but they weren't that bad because I had one at that time. If it were really, really, really expensive, I wouldn't have had one. Well, clearly, you were making a lot of money at that time. You had some expensive clients. Big yeah, problem. yeah, and my uh, money has gone down with the price of SSDs. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but that was a good argument. But I come back to, to my same point with GPUs. It doesn't really matter what the utilization is as long as they're faster. Well, it, 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 it does and it doesn't, and I think the argument is the same, and I'll make the same argument. And, but it, 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 it does matter what the utilization is from a price-performance point of view long-term. If if and there's still applications that require GPUs, like home applications like video rendering, you can't do on a CPU in a reasonable amount of time. Um, yeah. And if that is the case, then you're much better off having a GPU than trying to gang up and put, you know, a two or three or four socket uh, set of, of Intel cores in. On the other hand, and this is the same argument I made, if you need SSDs for streaming bandwidth for 10% of your application, and they're 20X, and you can afford to solve that problem by ganging up with a RAID controller or a bunch of disk drives, 
you might be better off in the long run. And what that crossover right. that was that was your RAID zero versus SSD argument. Well, it wasn't necessarily RAID zero, but anyway, your memory is fading with age, Dan. But and anyway, the issue really comes down to is at what point in time do applications take advantage of the technology well enough to justify the cost difference? And yes, I agree. You have to have it. You know, it's a chicken and egg. You have to have the investment to begin with. But at some point, um, there are some applications that will take advantage of it, and there are others you just can't make work with it. Well put. Well put. So, anybody have a catch of the week? I do. Did you hear that sound? I did. Did you hear that sound? Yeah, you did. What do you got, Henry? I got Krebs on security. Interesting article I passed on. You are the biggest Krebs fanboy. <laughs> I, am, I am a Krebs fanboy if there ever was one. Because actually, he's probably the only security guy in the country that's had a SWAT team try to take him out by accident. So you know, the, 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 Russian, the Russians called him in and said he was hold, it was a hostage situation in his house. Russian, Russian hackers. swatted him. Wow. Yeah, wanted sent the sent the the I think the Virginia SWAT team in, and they almost took him out. Oh wow! Yeah. So you're he's, irritating. He's great. He's really, he's really very good. That's a that's a great site. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, security cameras. I'm I'm sure a lot of people were considering him. I for one, but it looks like all the security cameras that were made in China um, by this one company, which makes pretty much the cameras for everybody. And other people repackage them, or the bases can be hacked um, based on uh, their communications. And um, uh oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um, and that the hacking is is in such a way it's it's the P2P uh, where you basically do a barcode scan and you start your um, you know configure it. Well, that P2P yeah. can be accessed through your firewall anywhere in the world. And there's a great link I sent you guys on it. And there's literally millions of cameras made by virtually everybody with this chipset. Um, and they list it. And you can just – they just guess what you know the first part of the barcode is and then guess the rest of the numbers and just get in. And you just brute force it from you there. You brute force the, it in. Okay. So um, these people – uh, it was just, um, I'm not getting a security camera, just. <laughs> You're going to hold off that. I'm going to hold off, I'll hold off at this point. <laughs> so. Well, yeah. I, you might want to check out VHS technology, Henry. I was thinking <laughs> of beta, Betamax. I don't know if you can still get the about, beta I, cameras. I was we, a, you can find you some VHS cameras. Yeah. Yeah, well, unlikely on both, Dan, but. Uh, um, it's it's pretty interesting and pretty scary, and um, it just goes to show that the IoT world has not been locked down. And it, I, I no. wonder, and I and I asked the question: Was this done on purpose with intent, or was this just somebody forgot? And I well, you never know with these things, right? Because I mean, the manner of implementation of a malware can make it look innocent. Well, yeah, but on this one, it's typical in barcodes uh, to have the first characters represent the company, the second characters represent, uh, you know, the, another set of characters represent the model, 
mm. then the last set of characters is the actual serial number. Yeah. And so you once you know the company and the model and their their heuristic for doing that, then it becomes easy. Well, and I guess I would say, is this is this done on was this done with intent? And I'm yeah, I do not know. know if I am not unconvinced it was not. But it doesn't matter though, right? Because it's still exposed then Yeah. But you're yeah. also, yeah, it's also an important consideration. Now, I want to say that there are IoT implementations out there that are really pretty secure. They have hardware security modules everywhere. They are using best practices. Uh, but 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 they're not everybody's using that. Not everybody's implementing it like that. Uh, well, well know, and if it's going to add a dollar here or two here, and in fact, it really doesn't. I think if you do it right, it saves you money. It doesn't cost you money. But it depends on how you come at it. Mm. Tisk tisk. Well, let's hope people clean this up. And until they do, Henry S. Newman will not be buying your product. That's right. That's right. It should not be called a security camera. Insecurity <laughs> camera. <laughs> yes. All so right. I got one. What do you got? So this is back to cryptocurrencies which is something that I track because it's, uh, it's a very exciting show uh, with all the ups and downs that, that it entails. So this one is a car company, Jaguar Land Rover. Uh, it is working on a smart wallet technology that would reward Jaguar drivers with crypto coins for uh, taking actions, such as enabling their vehicles to report useful data, such as traffic congestions, temperature, potholes, navigation, etc., to uh, either providers or to local authorities. So trying to reward uh, the willingness to share data from their cars. Now, uh, Tesla's already trained everybody to give all that away for nothing. Uh, and people don't seem to be complaining, but this is an interesting trend. There are a couple of other companies that are trying to uh, put a dollar value on the data that your car generates that might be valuable for others, and, and it is. And this is one of them. Now, the other thing I liked about this story is uh, I'm always uh, admiring of good marketing. Uh, so they had a good marketing tagline there that said their goal was to achieve Zero emissions, zero accidents, and zero congestion. Not bad. And near zero paid out to customers, I'm going to assume. <laughs> well, it depends on, <laughs> depends on how the coin catches on. This, in fact, is a coin called IOTA, which is an IoT-focused coin out of Europe. Uh, and, uh, and it's actually, you know, a, it, it's out there. And... Uh, and, and when I looked at their white paper and what they're doing, they seem to be paying attention to a lot of the right things. And they've got agreements with a few different companies. So it remains to be seen like everything else in cryptocurrencies. The legal framework is still evolving. Uh, there's still a lot of scams. You still have to be really careful. It's very much Wild West mm. still. Hmm. Well, there you go. We'll see how that goes. Keep an eye on it. Uh, my catch of the week is be very careful when you're traveling places with lithium-ion batteries. You have to carry them in your carry-on, but check your labels. 
if your label is even a bit kind of scuffed and they can't read every single character on it, regardless of the characters they can read, it can be confiscated. I had that happen to me coming out of China that they could not read every single character, but I'm telling them what it is. And it was under the, the size and all of that. I offered to get a note from the airline, which I've done with my airline before. No dice. They confiscated it and kept it. So, Dan, I have a question. I have a question. Is, did they open your, your laptop and look at the battery in your laptop? Oh, it's a camera battery. There's camera batteries. Okay. Uh, they were but about how big the size. Are they? Uh, in terms of size? Yeah, physical. Uh, about the size of a medium paperback book. Oh, okay. So they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're good size. Yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not odd. They don't click into the camera. I use them to feed the camera and my monitor and, and a few other I things. See. I see. And they're about, uh, they were about 24,000 uh, MAH, which is significant. That is significant. Yeah. How much but, it cost you to lose all those batteries? Well, let's just cheap, say it's right? low hundreds. Yeah, it's not cheap. Not cheap at all. Sorry. I'm still mad about it. Yeah, you should be. I almost argued myself into jail, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's you got to be careful of that, uh, especially in overseas land. So that is my uh, tip to travelers. Make sure those labels are good. The other thing I would do is take a picture of your label and then print that and put that label somewhere else on your battery. So you've got a fail safe. Yeah, so I, I don't know if they'll, they'll, I don't know if they'll buy that. Uh, it's worth a shot. They have the rules, Dan. They shall follow they, the rules. Blindly. Yes. Yeah. So on that discouraging note, let's go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC. Uh, thank everybody out there for listening, and we'll be back at you with another episode real soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.